Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I think addiction is one of the most fascinating topics about uh, human nature all the way around. It's just, it's just, it's it's so interesting and fits in with uh, probably with the homeless thing I'm about to talk to uh, talk about because he's probably an addict of some sort. I mean, some some of you all don't believe in addiction. Everything's a personal choice. Um, some of you believe everything in his addiction, and there's no such thing as personal choice. I think it's somewhere in between there, but I'm not exactly sure where you draw the line. Yeah, there's a lot that's still not known. Uh, oh, God, a ton that's not known. Here's an example, though. An, a Los Angeles nun who had taken a vow of poverty embezzled $835,000 to fund her gambling habit. Oh, clearly a gambling addict. Wow. And couldn't overcome it. Um, Margaret Cooper, 79, charged Tuesday with wire fraud and money laundering, embezzled over 800K in donations, tuition, and fee money from St. James Catholic School in L.A., uh, in Torrance, actually, um, was the school principal for 28 years. All those people that donated that money, you know, to do God's work, and she squandered it on gambling. Wow. I can't even imagine the stress that that sort of lifestyle would would put you through, and yet she couldn't or wouldn't stop. Um, I read the other day, it's the first time I'd ever come across anybody saying what I have said for years, uh, but it was somebody saying about how uh, if you have an addiction of any kind, you can recognize it's an addiction, uh, but you don't get other people's addictions. So, like, I'm an alcoholic. Gambling seems stupid to me. Stop. Why don't you stop? It's moronic. But <laughs> You're going to lose addicts, more than you win. I mean, duh. duh. People, people who are gambling addicts think, you know, why don't you stop smoking or whatever. You know, it's just whatever your thing is, you realize, I have no control over this, no matter what. I know it. I know it doesn't make sense. I'm still doing it. Um, but we don't get other people's. So I don't know. Anyway. Uh, brief version of this. I, uh, uh, having trouble getting Henry take some medicine he needed to take, offered him, uh, he, you can get every, whatever you want at Baskin Robbins if you take your medicine. That was good enough. He took his medicine. Off to Baskin Robbins we go. First, uh, probably the third time we've been to Baskin Robbins, this Baskin Robbins in like two weeks. Same freaking loser degenerate hobo parked on the same bench outside Baskin Robbins. The best place to sit in the area. Under a shade tree, shops and stores around, downtown of a very upscale town. He apparently owns that bench. He's always on that bench. Nobody else can sit there. There are two benches next to it that nobody sits on unless there's another degenerate homeless person comes by. They're willing to sit next to him. Nobody else does because he's like laughing to himself, then arguing, then kind of crying or asleep. He smells Mm. like a garbage dump. And he's been there three times in the, in the last week and a half. And I took a picture of him and I wanted to like piece together some sort of brilliant by my standards. This guy apparently owns this bench and explain, you know, how, what that takes away from all of the rest of us because he's decided that bench is his and why we put up with it. Right, and I know including this is, the business, which is paying very high taxes to oh, be right there. Oh, yeah, and uh, and I know this happens in towns all around America. Why did we decide he gets to have the n- nice spot, shade tree, with your ice cream, your magazine from the cool bookstore over there, whatever. He gets to own that bench. We don't, just because he decided that's where he's going to sit his filthy bum every single day. 
Um, maybe you think every homeless person you come across is a gentle soul who's just screwed by the system. That's not always the case. And you don't know until something happens. So anyway, we got this text that I thought was interesting. Um, who, who, who lives in the same town uh, I'm near, apparently. The bum you're talking about, his name is, gives the name. As a manager of another downtown business, it's funny, as soon as you start talking about it, I knew exactly who you're talking about. Every so often, he'll just stop in front of our store and he'll talk to people at random and they get freaked out and scurry away. Really great for business. But my point mm. was, I wanted to, like, post something on uh, Twitter or write to the newspaper and say, this guy clearly owns this bench. It's his bench. I've been here three times in the last week and a half. He's always at this bench. Nobody else gets to sit here. He's too scary looking and sounding for anybody to sit near him. So he's taken the nice shady spot in our beautiful downtown square, and he owns it. Have we decided that that's a good thing? It seems to me that there's two things. Since he's talking to himself and everything like that, is he crazy? If he's crazy, you got we got to get him. Society has to get a crazy person into some sort of facility. If he's mm-hmm. crazy, you just can't leave him there on the bench talking to himself and owning that public space. Or it seems like an odd policy for an advanced society. Or he's yeah. or he's a loser drug addict, in which case he needs to be booted out. It seems like those are really the only two choices. Yeah, well, that's uh, progressive policy has nothing but compassion to it. It has no order. It has no discipline. You know, and, and it, it, all good policy has to have a mix. I mean, they, well, I said it. It's all compassion, no discipline. And the result is that the undisciplined get to run roughshod, and, and the citizens just get screwed. It's wild that we just give over public spaces to the homeless, though. Well, you get that over. You get that underpass now. That's just yours, I guess. Or this uh, this bench in front of this business, I guess that's just you and your buddies now. I guess it doesn't it belongs to you now. Why? Well, it's, it's the parks and schools that really bother me because they're so sure. expensive and they're dad. You know, the taxpayers all get together and and it's not cheap to build and maintain a nice park. The Department of Parks and Recreation, perhaps you've heard of it. They all make money over there. Came across this kind of randomly from AgWeb.com. I don't know their act at all. While America slept, China stole the farm. I didn't know any of this stuff. American farmers are asleep as a thief strips machinery, barn, bins, and fields of all valuables and then returns for more. China has breached the inner walls of the U.S. agricultural industry and in what has arguably been the most expansive heist in farming history and is currently attempting to steal or hack every conceivable facet of U.S. agriculture technology. The Chinese Communist Party openly has declared its intent to dominate high-tech industries across the world, including agriculture, by 2025. That's just three and a half years from now. Undergirding its technological superiority effort, China has unabashed plans for a solo climb to the top rung of the global power ladder by 2049, as we all know. In order to fuel its ascendance, the CCP is engaged in widespread theft, cyber hacking, and espionage. We've talked about this in the past, a 27 report by the... um, uh, U.S. Commission on uh, American Intellectual Property estimates that between a quarter of a uh, trillion or $600 billion is taken out of the U.S. economy each year by China uh, stealing our intellectual property. $600 hmm. billion a year? That is absolutely unbelievable. In 2020, the FBI acknowledged multiple espionage benchmarks a new China-related counterintelligence case opens every 10 hours. Over half of all active FBI counterintelligence cases involve China. Over half of all of them. 
And across the last 10 years, economic espionage with links to China jumped by 1,300%. Can you imagine if a country had a whole of society, you know, 100-year plan, to 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 rip off to dominate to 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 steal from and and surveil its its great rival and that great rival was in the midst of a period where it was saying come on in sure no problem to the point that and I've told this story before where the FBI went on to a major college campus told the university president a number of the Chinese scholars you have working here are uh, Chinese agents they're spies and they were told get off my campus you racists. This was not long ago. It was in the 2000s. Can you imagine a, 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 a target so soft? God, China just, they've got to be guffawing behind closed doors. And, and sad that it's come to an end, and, and they're a little pissed off. But well, I think they're mostly surprised it lasted so long. Anyway, this article goes into depth on how particularly they're aiming at agriculture and just robbing us blind, and uh, and we're not paying any attention to it. Which fits in a little bit with this um, podcast out of the New York Times for today. Uh, David Sanger and others talking about how uh, Trump set the table for how we we're going to try to take on China, Sean, and uh, and uh, that Sanger clip that we we're talking about earlier. How uh, Trump had set the table for taking on China around all this theft and everything like that, and uh, Biden is continuing it. That's right. Japan was a commercial adversary, but not a military adversary. And China's the opposite. But you know, Michael, something else happened in the course of this that changed the debate. And that was Donald Trump. What do you mean? He walked away from all of the usual Republican ideology on this issue and many others. When he made that turn about a year and a half ago, at the beginning of the pandemic and began describing China not as a potential deal maker with the United States, but as its mortal enemy. And that cemented the view in his own party that any bill that was described as a counter China bill was worth passing. That was what changed the debate. And when President Biden came in, he actually extended this debate by casting mm. it as the battle between democratic forces and autocracy. And the Senate passed one yesterday. And so that's two days in a row that we've had reporters on from Trump hating newspapers who say Trump was on the right side of this when he started to t- treat China like a- an enemy. Josh Rogan yesterday from The Washington Post, and that's David Sanger from The New York Times, that that pivot that happened because Trump didn't give a crap what uh you know what what was was the orthodoxy or the studies said or the policy people or whatever about how you should approach this he just declared all of a sudden China's an enemy China's an enemy of the United States and here's what they're doing and I'm going to sanction them and this and that yeah it's it's amazing i was just reading an article about all the people in the the Biden administration who are married to other people in the Biden administration or their sister is the editor in chief of the Washington Post or whatever just the incredibly small nature of Washington and i think most of us don't quite get how if the entire you know patched elbow pipe smoking intelligentsia of the state department 
The whole culture of D.C. believes one thing about, for instance, China policy. It's hard to go against that and say, mm-hmm. no, you're all wrong. They're robbing us blind. They're our mortal enemy. And yet that's sociologically, for some reason, hard for people to do because they want to be popular in that big high school. Well, Trump came in and he didn't give a crap. You know, for better or worse, and in the case of China policy, it may have saved our ass. Oh, absolutely. The fact that he knew those people would never accept it. How long would it have taken for a president to have had the guts to uh, to really turn the, 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 the ship the other direction on China? Remember day one of his presidency? There were two stories day one of his presidency. One, how big was the crowd on the mall? And two, that he made a phone call to the leader of Taiwan. And, oh, boy, that just shows how stupid Trump is. You are not supposed to do that. You are supposed to talk to China first because it's important that we that China realizes that Taiwan, blah, blah, blah. He got so much crap for, for, for not getting it. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was poking China in the eye and saying there's a new guy here with a different attitude. Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. I forewarned you. Let's go, Brandon. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Uh, I almost shouted mailbag. Sorry. Wow. Uh, freedom-loving quote of the day first. Sent along by alert listener Ken. It's from a SCOTUS opinion by Justice Kennedy. It's a little longish, but I thought it was good. When a student first encounters our first our free speech jurisprudence, he or she might think it is influenced by the philosophy that one idea is as good as any other, that in art and literature, objective standards of style, taste, decorum, beauty, and aesthetics are deemed by the Constitution to be inappropriate, indeed unattainable. Quite the opposite is true. The Constitution no more enforces a relativistic philosophy or moral nihilism than it does any other point of view. The Constitution exists precisely so that opinions and judgments, including aesthetic and moral judgments about art and literature, can be formed, tested, and expressed. What the Constitution says is that these judgments are for the individual to make, not for the government to decree, even with the mandate or approval of a majority. Hmm. Well said, sir. Well said. It's hate speech is not free speech. I hate you. That's hate speech. Mailbag. <laughs> And appropriately, appropriately enough, appropriately, I sound like Joe Biden. Uh, according to TSOT, uh, greetings, guys. I thought I would, I would pass along a statement I read this evening out of my current book, as I think it highlights beautifully the human conditions that's being hijacked by critical race theory. Ah, the human conditions. It's from Why People Believe Weird Things by Michael Shermer. I'm not familiar with the book. It sounds intriguing. Quote, But as soon as a group sets itself up as the final moral arbiter of other people's actions, especially when its members believe they have discovered absolute standards of right and wrong, it marks the beginning of the end of tolerance, and thus reason and rationality. Holy crap, if that doesn't describe the cult of critical race theory, I don't know what does. Yikes! That's pretty good. Yeah, that is. Uh, Moving along to uh, the correspondence proper, William writes, oh, Michael. Da-da-da-da! You probably want to get a certain little bell ready. President Biden's comments after the summit with Putin reminds me of when Neville Chair- Chamberlain returned to England after his conference with Adolf Hitler, in which Chamberlain gave Hitler the green light to invade Eastern Europe. That didn't remind me of that no, much. No, it, it, it didn't occur to me. It wasn't terribly strong, but I, I don't know. Well, we'll talk about that more later. Uh, guys, I'm listening to the, uh, today's show, and you're talking about the fires started by bums and junkies. Here's how my Saturday afternoon went. 
I'm in the wind watching this fire started by bums and junkies head straight for my house, praying the fire department would arrive soon. And in the time I had to grab a few things, my pad alert the neighbors who were oblivious. It was surreal watching the flames, listening to the whispers of the fire burning through dry grass and weeds. Thank God for everything that went right. And no one but the junkies lost their homes, as it turns out. Commented yesterday, uh, the uh, Los Angeles Fire Department, and it could have been, you know, L.A., the, the Bay Area, the Sacramento, anywhere on the West Coast because it's so dry, um, saying that they respond to a dozen fires a day set in the bum and jump, junkie encampments. And if you're new to the show, yeah, bums and junkies. Those are not the families trying to get back on their feet. You never see them. They're in the shelters. They're behaving themselves. They're working as hard as they can to get their lives going again. God bless them. I, I wish them well. The tent cities, those are bums and junkies. Yeah. A uh, note from Terry here. I cannot understand all of the mask-wearing people of all ages wearing masks outdoors yesterday. Is this the result of a year of brainwashing by our government through every media outlet? The Fauci fear drip was slow and steady but did the job. Then she name checks a bunch of towns around where she lives where people are outdoors alone wearing masks. I want to take, the, I want to talk about that later because there's a certain argument of well, why do you care if people wear masks? I'll tell you why I do care that other people are wearing masks when they don't need to. I think it's very important, but I'll uh, get into that later. I'll stay tuned. And this from Jeff. Guys, I still wear a mask outdoors and I also keep an iron lung in the spare bedroom just in case my polio vaccine fails. <laughs> K-J-S-O-T, keep Jonas Sock off Twitter, Jeff in Santa Rosa, California. Oh, now that is funny. Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Point of personal privilege. Don't get brazen with me. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So a couple of stories about urban decay and an effort to turn it around. First of all, as we span the continent... A quick look into the West Coast. Uh, readers were stunned when the San Francisco Chronicle actually asked in their website slash newspaper, quote, residents and city leaders are searching for answers amidst uh, rampant crime. Should they tolerate burglaries as part of city living and focus on barricading homes? <laughs> who, who ever considers tolerating burglaries ever? Wait a minute, there's more. You're right. You're absolutely right. But should repeat offenders, these are repeat burglars, friends, should repeat offenders get rehabilitation services or be incarcerated so they can't commit more crimes? Two men with long criminal histories got caught for stealing bikes. What should San Francisco do about them? They asked in pained tones, just confused. Throw them in jail for as long as you can. That would be my answer. I would say dab up your unicorn's tears and, 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 and suck the, suck them out of the cloth you used for their magical healing powers, friends. That's what you should do, you bunch of friggin' nut jobs. Unbelievable. This is an actually, uh, the piece explores the city's pursuit for criminal justice reform while debating, quote, how to manage the rates of property crime that for years have been among the highest in the nation. And, of course, Twitter reacted the way Twitter should, including some fairly, uh, you know, substantial humans who you may have cause of, uh, or I'm sorry, you may have heard of. I'm trying to read while I talk. Think about how far gone the city of San Francisco must be for its major newspaper to write the first sentence below as if it's a reasonable civic, civic question. Should we just get used to burglaries and barricade ourselves in our house? A couple of people talked about how many friends and, and loved ones have fled the city and that they have to be next. Predictable. 
So moving along to a rather notable conversation that just took place in New York City, Gotham, between a so-called Black Lives Matter uh, activist, Hawk Newsom, and the mayor-elect, Eric Adams. First of all, let's see, hear from... Uh, Eric Adams, who is the mayor-elect because he ran on Law & Order in a, in, a, point. in a bluest city as you can get in America. Absolutely true. So first, uh, clip a what? I've, oh, I've got the wrong list in front of me. The... Uh, the, uh, the the Hawk Newsom clip, Michael, I think is 11. If they think that they're going to go back to the old ways of policing, then we're going to take to the streets again. There will be riots, there will be fire, and there will be bloodshed. Keeping in mind inciting a riot is a crime. He was debating the plan for a return to tougher policing with Adams. Now... Adams, the mayor-elect who ran on cracking down on the rampant, dangerous crime in New York City, which was, until Bill de Blasio took over, one of the safest cities in the world, per capita. Black guy, former cop, saying, no, 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 not defund the police, refund the police. Right, right. Uh, so he said to ignore the history of, of uh, some of the excesses. They're talking about the anti-crime squad, which was a substantially plainclothes unit, which was absolutely involved in some of the cases that everyone g- condemned as being wrong. The choking death of Eric Garner, uh, the death of Am- Amadou Diallo, who was shot. He had a cell phone in his hand, etc., But Adams, through his campaign, promised to bring back a reinvented version of the anti-crime unit that was tasked with firearm busts as well as a crackdown on violent crime and hard drugs. Oh, remind me, I have a hard drugs thought to throw in. Um, To me, it's perfect. A guy saying, we had a squad, we had policies that made the city safe. There were excesses that were regrettable. You removed the squad and the policies, and now the city is incredibly unsafe. A shocking rise in crime that everybody hates. So what we're going to do is revisit those policies, refine them, take a hard look at the excesses, and make sure we prevent them. And this guy, because BLM is not about logic, it's not about policy, it's not about good governance, it's about power, and it's about Marxism. So this guy says, we'll be at his front door, we'll be at Gracie Mansion, we'll be in the streets if he allows the police to abuse us. Well, he's not saying he's going to. There will be riots and fire and bloodshed. Okay, fine, fine. You know, congratulations all you corporations that poured tens of millions of dollars into this crazed Marxist organization. Yeah, no kidding. Fools. Unbelievable. At one point during the meeting, the mayor-elect grew agitated with New Hawk's sister, who's also a uh, activist quote-unquote, who said, politicians shuck, jive, and use rap quotes, but don't make real changes. You need to be corrected, Adam said, talking over it. You need to be corrected based on what you're saying. Don't tell me I need to do this. Say, we need to do this. I put my body on the line for my community, so I'm not here for folks to come and say, I'm going to hold you accountable. No, it's us, us working together, etc. So I wish the guy well. I think his... His progress, his success, his failure are going to be watched very, very closely, and uh, and I think they could be uh, they could do a powerful amount of good. Well, it's a history of mankind that when uh, when there's enough disorder, people are willing to put up with practically anything 
to have order return. In this case, uh, it's it's in uh, in the form of Eric Adams, who's just a good, decent citizen who wants law and order. But you've seen it around the world where they they are welcoming the Taliban in a lot of those villages because they've had disorder for so long. The Taliban is better than this. You saw it in uh, in Iraq when they were allowing ISIS Al Qaeda is better than just the mayhem we have here. So people will 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 will, will welcome anything to have order return to their city. Right, right. So and there's no indication that this guy's over the top or no, a fascist or no. pro beatings or anything like that. He seems like a you know a street shooter. No, just my point is if if crime gets bad enough, if disorder gets bad enough, people want that to end at any cost. And so the fact that New York as blue as it is, is turning toward law and order is not surprising to me. They've had enough of it. When is it going to happen for San Francisco and Portland and Seattle? And L.A. and lots of places. Right, exactly. That is the question. But Black Lives Matter wants the the police to go away, wants prisons to go away and jails to go away. They don't have a shred of common sense on their side. And yet, you know, the, the giant donations. So anyway, my hard drugs note that I wanted to throw in real quickly. We among very, very few others, have been talking about the new meth that's on the street. Big, giant article uh, in The Atlantic, an excerpt from a brand-new book. We're working to interview the author in one of our extra-large podcasts. And and the book's about fentanyl and hard drugs, but it's also about this new meth that when the cartels couldn't get ephedrine anymore, they started to make it with a different chemical process so they could keep their enormous profits going from the streets of uh, the blue cities where meth has been essentially legalized. The problem with this new chemically, uh, the, the new chemical composition is that it rots people's brains. It causes severe mental illness problems quickly. Not after years of rampant abuse, but after weeks. It's incredibly dangerous. Okay. If you're not up to speed on this. So I was talking to a, uh, a gentleman yesterday who is in, he works in a drug, uh, rehab, uh, the addictions center of a hospital. And I said, hey, it's it's funny I should run into you. I explained what I just explained. And he said, no, I haven't seen that article. I haven't heard that. But he said, all of a sudden, we have, and it's a very, very recent phenomenon, people who can no longer speak. They're meth addicts, but they can't speak, which was one of the things the article in The Atlantic was talking about. He said, we have people that can't write their names. and And we've been wondering, what the hell is going on? And he mentioned another several symptoms that are mentioned in this article. I can't believe all of America isn't talking about this. This is why you have crazy junkies clogging your streets and parks and sidewalks. This is why it has gotten so much more dangerous to walk down the street. And, you know, it used to be you walk by a bunch of beggars or whatever, and usually nothing happened. Now they start screaming at you and throwing things at you. That's that's probably this drug. And, and look, let's, let's remove the question of sympathy or culpability or, or anything from the equation. Everybody's trying to figure out who are all these bums and junkies, quote unquote, homeless people. And the question's often asked. We've asked it. Are they just mentally ill? Which is a terrible situation. And I am more than willing to help a mentally ill person. Are they drug addicts? Are they mentally ill because they're drug addicts? Well, a substantial answer has been laid in our laps. These tweakers are rotting their brains. It's an all-out emergency. It's DEFCON 1 on America's streets, and nobody's talking about it. We need to crack down hard on meth. And I'm a libertarian. I don't care if you get high all day long. But we have to crack down on this meth because it is 
killing thousands of Americans, and it is ruining, America, ruining America's cities. I wish I'd hear one more news outlet mention it other than us. Then I would think maybe it's uh, gaining some traction. Haven't heard a word of it anywhere. Yeah, we've got to get this guy on. We've got to do a podcast with him and then chop it up and get it on the air. I mean, this this might be the headline for America's cities, and it's getting no traction because Trump's not involved, and it's not about race. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So I came across this in the Washington Post yesterday about the homicide rate in America. It is uh it's something from from the year twenty nineteen to the year twenty twenty, we had the largest jumps jump in homicides year to year, probably in our nation's history. It's around thirty percent, wasn't it's it? Just insane, like that. yeah. Yeah. Probably the biggest jump in one year. And everybody was guessing, you know, is it the COVID? Is it the the protests led to what? What was it? What was it? Well, this year, a whole bunch of cities are up from last year. And the Washington Post had this opinion piece. The title was this. I used to run a police homicide unit. The rage behind so many of today's murders feels new. Let me read a little bit of this and then we'll discuss. Because I have my own kind of half baked theories. A disturbing factor is the pure, irrational rage that seems increasingly to drive these grim numbers. Uncontrollable anger has always accounted for some murders, of course, but I've been struck in recent years by the greater role it plays in these cases. In recent years, the data showed that inane, petty disputes increasingly are sparking killings. People die over absurdities, dibs on a car wash stall, stolen weed, getting cut off in traffic, beer pong gone wrong. More and more guns are likely to be involved. Nationally, the firearm firearm homicide rate increased 26% between 2010 and 2019. That's, you know, some of you might think it's the gun is the reason. One dark thread winds through murder statistics. In part, it explains when ordinary, everyday irritation or resentment might turn to homicidal fury. Killers generally feel powerless over their circumstances, having lost control over their lives. They may commit violence in an attempt to regain a semblance of it. And the ultimate exercise control over life is taking someone else's. The pandemic, no doubt, exacerbated that sense of helplessness. A dangerous sense of lurking chaos has been in the air. I think we all feel that. Uh, add to that the contemporary turn towards simple meanness online and in the media, with bullying often admired and nastiness rewarded. Death threats have replaced debate. We've seen that in recent weeks. Inch by inch, rage becomes the norm. And then that poisonous atmosphere, tragedies are inevitable. I'll read one more a bit from this article, and then we can discuss. One thing each of us can contribute is consciously working to lower the social rage level in America, says this person that used to run a homicide department. Try to make empathy and compassion a reflex and not instant anger at anyone who has offended you online or in the real world. If a rage culture has been created, it also can be rolled back. Well, I'm sure that's true. I'm hoping you're right that we can. But um, she touched on a bunch of different things there. The um, uh, social media stuff, the anger online, the pandemic. Um, well, first of all, I guess I'll just hit you with what do you think it is? Well, I she, think- she, she, She's starting with the premise that she feels like rage is definitely part of it. She's, she was in the homicide department for decades and decades and decades. She's now retired. Looking back over the years, she says... Uh, Fury over minor incidents 
That has changed. Yeah, it's it's not the guns. It's a cultural norm. And you have to keep in mind that the vast majority of murders committed are committed in big cities uh, or medium-sized cities. And there is a culture of uh, the slightest grievance, the slightest questioning of one's manhood or attempt to uh, get over on somebody else. They can escalate to death. The idea that this is worth killing someone over for a lot of us, is a tiny, tiny list at the very top of a very grim pyramid. For a lot of America, it is absolutely any dispute. You question my manhood, I will kill you. Yeah, um, obviously that could play a role. I wonder if people just aren't walking around with, uh, with we're just walking around with more rage on average than we ever have before. So if you're walking around, everybody knows this. If you're if you're angry, if you're under a lot of stress. It's often the minor thing that makes you twist off. That's sure. when you snap at your kids, your spouse, your coworker, whatever. It's just you're you're already angry, so it's, ah, you you, know, you twist over off something. So, uh, so I'm not sure at that moment it's a, um, uh, I've chosen to make this minor incident a a uh, a DefCon one event. It's that we're walking around so angry all the time. What I wonder is why are we walking around? So angry all the time. My, my, my own theory is there's something going on around this whole social media isolation, not connected to people thing mm-hmm. that is huge, like a complete change in the way homo sapiens have existed forever. And it's making us crazy. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, you have to keep in mind, if you're talking about murder, a lot of it is gang-related. A lot of it. Good point. And, and you've got to go with the, uh, the, the George Floyd protests and the, the cops pulling back and the lack of support from city councils and the rest of it have turned the streets over to junkies and gangbangers. So there's that. I, I, that is not an argument against what you're saying because I, I think what you're saying is absolutely true too. And it is part probably of the stew of causes that's caused the murder rate to rise. Uh, and it's also, you know, part of the cause for a lot of ills in society. But I think that the murder rate has more to do with urban areas and policing, honestly. Hmm. I'm not sure the gangs of Chicago were walking around all tense because of Facebook and, and COVID uh, mandates. Yeah. I, I just, as I was reading this article last night, I, I think we're a long way from fully understanding what the modern world has done to us. Agreed. We, we might be decades from fully understanding it. Maybe we'll never understand it. Maybe it's too complex, but I was just thinking of Bill Maher all of a sudden because he used to mock people who talk about, um, you know, people say there's so much change taking place. And he'd say, come on, the biggest change in human history happened between like 1830 and 1900. Um, prior to like 1830, Human beings hadn't been living that much differently than they were 10,000 years ago, really, in terms of the ability to travel and communicate. There's still horse and, you know, how fast a horse could get something somewhere. Um, and then everything changed with rail and telegraph and all that sort of stuff and the combustible engine and the uh, um, um, industrial revolution. All that happened. But The rise of the dirigible, of course. He used to say that. I don't think that's true anymore. I no. think the change that has happened in the last 10 years around communication, social media, all that sort of stuff is the biggest change that has ever happened to human beings ever. 
and 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 we're not even close to understanding what it's doing to us yet. Oh my gosh, that reminds me. I've got some unbelievable uh, tape from the World Economic Forum. This historian talking about the, you know, the postmodern metaverse, high-tech humans and machines meshing, uh the the AI, the the what do you call it? The uh, the universe, the continuum, the, uh, the 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 turning point, the switch, the big switch off. The, uh, the <laughs> conundracy, the uh, what the hell, the, the when the, when the machines start to teach themselves oh, and learn and the uh, what is it, the synergy? No, it's the uh, the the equilibrium. No, the I, I big can't orgasm. I can't <laughs> the big orgasm. I can't remember what the term is. The singularity. There you go. There Good it one. is. But anyway, he's talking about this, and I, I tell you what, it makes me want to head for the hills. Yeah. I think we're in the opening. Say, wow, we're in the second inning. Of the modern computerized world making us insane. Wow. So all this change, I was just talking about the biggest change in human history. You think we're in the second inning of that happening? Oh, yeah. You're going to be hooked up to some uh, machine drain in your vital fluids in some organ farm before you know it. With computers <laughs> drilling holes in your brain, using your energy to harness some supercomputer wow. run by Bill Gates and the WHO. I'm telling you. <laughs> Sweater putting the chips in you. <laughs> With the vaccine? Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Goes without saying. Um, you have any thoughts on this? Uh, you think the, the what's making us so murdery? Joe might be right. It might just be gang stuff. Partly. Partly. That might be the bulk of it.